You are Locked On NBA Draft, your daily podcast on the NBA Draft, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your next order. What is up? What is up? You are listening to Locked on NBA Draft. This is your host, Rafael Barlow from NBA Draft Junkies. Got an awesome guest today. He has written a book, and the book is up my alley. I'm a big fan of the NBA Draft, obviously, and this is a book that details information regarding the NBA draft and it's called built to lose how the NBA's tanking era changed the league forever. And my guest today is Jake Fisher. What is going on? Hey, do it, man. Thank you for having me. Yeah. The draft is, uh, you know, one of the most fascinating elements of the league in my opinion. So I'm happy to dive into you know, overall draft and, and the, the drafts we detailed in the book today. What made you decide to write this book? How long was the process and information gathering it seems like a very tedious task yeah it it was tedious but i end up over over time you know typically i'm working on a bigger idea for a while at sports illustrator that's what i would do um and then eventually this became a book not you know a story that would come out in three months um and you know, I wanted to write it because I, I started covering the Sixers for Liberty Ballers for SB Nation right when Sam Hankey got, you know, in, in charge of that team. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I was an, I was an intern for Slam Magazine, and then you know I was going to school in Boston and moonlighting as an NBA reporter for Slam at night at TD Garden. And you know, people forget that 2013 draft when Sam traded uh, Drew Holiday to New Orleans for Nerlens was the same night that the Celtics pulled the the big KG Paul Pierce Brooklyn trade. So there was a lot of teams around the league tanking for that 2014 class with Embiid, Wiggins, and Parker considered to be the best class since 03, right? And, you know, being in Boston, going to those games at TD Garden, covering Philly from afar, I felt like I was in, like, the eye of the tanking hurricane, you know? And, you know, spin that all forward, looking for a bigger project to sink my teeth into around 2017. That's, that's when a lot of reform got passed. And, you know, from there, for the next, you know, three years, pretty much, I, I, I talked to over 300 people from – players and coaches to agents and executives and all, you know, types of figures around the NBA to kind of really get a sense of what happened behind the scenes and kind of showcase different examples of team building and roster construction and draft process. And I think there's a lot of new info in there that, that people are going to like from all that effort. Yeah. I can't wait to, to get the book. I've placed my order, so it should be coming any day now. Thank you, man. I appreciate and I'm, I'm one of these people that if I open a book, I can shut down my entire social life for days until I finish it. Like I have a hard time reading a chapter coming back a week later. I I literally like go all the way through it. And just based off of everything that I've heard and read about this book, I I imagine that I'll be done with this book within the next seven days once I receive it. I have, I have a couple of friends who they read it in a few days. And um, I mean, that was, that was the goal. I mean, I wanted it to be, it bounces from Philly to Brooklyn to Phoenix to Sacramento to Orlando. Like you'll see the tanking process Sixers go into Staples Center in, you know, the end of 2013, that December, early January, when they go on that big road trip and then you'll leave that game through the Lakers, you know, 
pivoting from locker room to locker room. So it does balance and it has some pace to it that I think will make people uh, enjoy it. Definitely. Let's start with the Sixers. So I have some friends, I won't mention their names. Um, and they were part of the hinky special, the, the, I don't even know how to label the contracts that, that they were given. Yeah. And then um, I can name three guys that I know personally that were part of that group. Tell me more about your time around that team or covering the Sixers at the time when they were tanking, because I feel like tanking has always kind of been around. I mean, I can remember it was a little bit before my time, but I can remember the whole story about the Knicks and the Patrick Ewing tanking yeah. situation. And Philly, I feel like were the fir- was the first team that was brutally honest about what they were doing. Yeah. Tell me about your experience just around the team or around, you know, the stories at that time. Yeah, you know, I, I definitely say the book is an anecdotal history of a lot of different case studies of tanking and rebuilding. So Boston, you know, they traded KG and Paul Pierce, moving on from their, you know, veteran core before it was too late versus on the other side of the aisle, the Lakers were holding on to Kobe and refusing to admit that he was no longer in, in position to be a contender. Mav um, too, what did you say? Would you say the same for Dallas with their, their loyalty? Yeah, I would say so. But I, but the Lakers end up inadvertently being the worst team in the NBA over a five-period stretch. So Dallas, yeah. you know, wasn't at the top of the lottery picking two, three straight years like the Lakers were. Right. But to, to, to your question, you know, Philly is in there to be, you know, they are the most brazen, bald, open, you know, transparent process, for lack of a better word. And you're right. I think the way that Sam went about his methodology of being unapologetic, of, you know, really playing the NBA for, you know, a value system. Like, you know, we've seen a lot of these analytical minded executives. I mean, I just came from Sam Presti's Zoom press conference before I jumped on with you. And he was talking about the NBA as an ecosystem and margins of error and all these types of terminology that are really commonplace these days. And Sam, you know, took it to the nth degree, I believe that, that, um, you know, Hinky special, like he talked about that four year non-guaranteed deal that he refused to back off of for a lot of people. I mean, I talked to Dwayne Deadman and his agent, Mike Silverman, for the book. I don't, I don't, maybe that's someone you're referring to. Um, <laughs> yeah, those and, are uh, my guys. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, like, I mean, Sam pretty much told him at the deadline in 2014, like, hey, man, wait it out, you know, after he had two 10-day contracts. You know, after the deadline, you know, we'll, we'll probably resign you. And sure enough, you know, he only was going to say, like, here's our four-year non-guaranteed deal. Like, that's it. And, you know, a stern, you know, Orlando swipes in, they, they give him a couple more $100,000 of guaranteed money, and they lose Dwayne Dedman, who Brett Brown loved, and Dwayne became a pretty legitimate center in the league. And I know Philly fans, even a couple years ago, before they hired, before they uh, signed Dwight Howard, were considering Dedman to be like a potential backup to Embiid, which, you know, it would have been good to have him along the whole ride, right? So, Hinky definitely, you know, made some enemies and, and rubbed some people the wrong way with his negotiating style, but. I think that was, you know, there was a method to all that madness. Like he did think he was operating in the best interest of Philly and, you know, preserving every cent on that cap sheet and putting the team in the best position to be where they are today, which is obviously the one seed in the East and looking like a perennial contender moving forward. Do you think he'll get another opportunity in the NBA or do you think his name has such a negative connotation behind it that some owners may be scared to touch him? Um, I think he would have had another opportunity if he wanted it already. Um, I, it just, 
what I've learned more and more, you know, the, the closer I get to this and the more conversations I have with people on the inside, it, it becomes so apparent how important ownership is. And what I think made the Philly opportunity attractive to Sam to begin with was there is, it was built to him as like a real direct partnership with ownership and they were on board to do this strategy and then the rug got pulled out from under him. And I think Sam realized that um, there's a lot of teams in the league that are not like Danny Ainge in Boston or like Pat Riley in Miami or maybe, you know, Tim Connolly now in Denver. Like there's just as much changeover in ownership as there is on benches and there is on rosters. And you don't have that ownership trust that you got nothing as a GM. And I think, I don't think Sam will ever trust an ownership group ever again. And I think that's why he has, you know, started a venture capital fund or whatever it is out in the Bay area. And he's more in that tech investing space now. And it doesn't seem like he's got any interest in coming back to the league. That's so interesting to me because, and I'm pretty sure you can probably relate that most guys that are in this basketball world, I mean, not saying that they don't have other interests outside of basketball, but it's so hard to like get in position. Hinky had a job that only one of 30 people had at the time. And to work your way up the food chain and then be totally cool with not being involved again. I usually find that pretty hard to, to believe, but I don't know how many years it's been. Maybe it's been like five years or so now or or more. It's been five years since he resigned. Yeah. Yeah. Since he's been out and, I mean, I heard what he was doing in the Bay, but I always thought like maybe that itch will come back to to run a team because whether people like it or not, whether they want to admit it, his formula worked. And like you said, Philly was the number one seed. And in my opinion, and I, and I think it's a pretty fair assessment, they're not in that position without Hinky. Yeah. And, you know, whether it's Elton Brand or, or Daryl Morey, they're reaping the benefits of Hinky's plan. And I, I, part of me feels like it's kind of unfair that he's not able to fully get credit if Philly ends up winning a NBA title this year. I think he'll get a lot of credit. I think the people in Philly, especially the rights Ricky Sanchez podcast guys, if you've heard of them, um, the, the, the people who, you know, raised a banner to him and the Raptors of this big sports complex bar, Right, right in the down uh, South Philly, right, right in the same complex as uh, as their stadium. I think he'll get credit, but you're right. I mean, the whole I think the whole reason they're here right now is Joel Embiid, right? I mean, he's an MVP candidate. He's one of, if not, you know, the best two-way players in the league. And the Hinky strategy was the only reason that he's in Philadelphia. He was in, he worked out for Cleveland that year. And by all accounts, you know, Cavs officials maintain to this day that Embiid broke his foot during that Cavs workout. And they couldn't take him. You know, they, they were considering the fact that LeBron might resign there. And they were considering the fact that they needed to, you know, get back towards contention. It had been, you know, a bunch of years since LeBron left in 2010. And they had, hadn't even come close to the postseason. So they weren't taking a guy who broke his back uh in kansas and then broke his foot milwaukee with the same thing in the bucks ownership i have mark lazary on the record in the book saying that they couldn't take and beat over jabari and that they were looking probably to take jabari over wiggins before when Embiid was tracking to be the number one pick because they wanted a more finished product to make the playoffs that next year so Embiid only fell to three because these other teams didn't have that long view that sam had I, I believe Hinky would have taken uh, Embiid number one overall still in that draft if Hink, if if he uh, if they had the number one pick even after Embiid got hurt. That's just the way that Sam 
operated. He was always thinking about, you know, the quote he used was having the longest view in the room. That, that was the theme of that whole front office. This is great stuff. When we return, I want to get Jake's opinion on the 2014 NBA draft class, which at the time was considered or expected to be one of the best classes in recent memory. Bet online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all the action at Bet Online. Get all the latest sports news you need, odds and info, including Major League Baseball, NBA, NHL, and all your UFC and MMA action. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign up bonuses, and contest information. Do not sit on the sidelines anymore as this is your chance to get in the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Head to the website, use your mobile device to sign up today, and you'll receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sports experts, promo code locked on. Today on Locked On Today podcast, the New York Knicks were stunned at home by Trey Young. And Father Time lost at the PGA Championship. Get more of the sports news you need in less time with the Locked On Today podcast. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, you're listening to Locked On NBA Draft. This is Raphael from NBA Draft Junkies. Have Jake Fisher on, the author of a new book. And like I mentioned in the first segment, I can't wait till my book comes. <laughs> Just so far from the first few minutes of this of this podcast, I mean, my interest has definitely grown. But I wanted to talk about the 2014 class. I can remember like yesterday, going into their freshman seasons, mm-hmm. everyone was penciling Andrew Wiggins in as the number one pick. We saw the comparisons to maybe Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant. I remember reading articles about him possibly getting like this $100 million sneaker deal and he had a good season at Kansas. I don't want to say it was disappointing. I think a lot of the, I guess, I don't, I'm trying to think of the best way to word it. You always felt like there was more. You always felt like you could have got more. But again, he had shown the flashes and potential. Then you had Jabari Parker, who's like a legend in Chicago. Everyone, well, not everyone, but there were people saying that he's the best player to come out of Chicago ever. I mean, I saw some of those um, remarks because he has such a good high school career. And during that college season, as it went on, you saw that Embiid was probably the best player in that class. Yeah. So take me back to 2014 draft. And you had, you know, these two guys that had all the hype coming into the season that definitely deserved to be, you know, contending for the number one pick and then Embiid comes in and kind of throws like a a wild card in, into yeah. the mix so tell me about that situation yeah. going into the 14 draft I mean the hype around that class is I think why this tanking era even happened like I talked about at the top I mean remember Miami was running the league at the time and the Thunder you know they they were the most exemplary tank job probably of all time when they picked KD, Russ, and Harden three straight drafts from 2007 to 09. They get to the finals only three years later in 2012, and they run into this heat juggernaut, right? Like the heat and the thunder were the perfect example of the best way to contend is to stockpile these multiple all-stars, and the easiest, most direct path to get them is at the top of the draft. 
and 14 was considered to be the best class since 03, without a doubt. Wiggins and Parker were on Slam Magazine covers. Wiggins was, like, getting a torch passed down for him from Wilt Chamberlain on the, on the SI cover. Um, and they, they clashed in the beginning of that year. I forget what it was. But, like, November, there was some one of those preseason tournaments, and it was all yeah. this hype. But you started to see in that game Embiid and what he was doing. And Bill Self all along was, like, telling people behind closed doors, Joel's the number one pick. And I think there was this game at Iowa State that January that Fred Hoiberg was the head coach at that time. He still to this day says that was the best game he's ever seen a college basketball player play. I mean, Embiid was just, you know, retreat dribbling out of double teams, and he had a block on one end and ran the court on the other and dunked on somebody and was doing these spin moves that, like, rivaled Hakeem Olajuwon. Everyone was like, holy shit, this, this guy is the guy. And then he hurt his back. You know, and didn't get to play, and that obviously started to to make some you know murkiness and some unquestion um, some questions on you know his status at number one. But even till that Cavs workout for sure, he was the number one guy. And I remember there was some Wasserman workout where Brian Scalabrini and a couple other people were like, um, it was some high school gym in California. He was, I think going it was like Santa Monica gym or something like that. Yeah, and he was just dunking from the foul line and, and making Brian Scalabrini's not like, you know, a big-time guy, but he's 6'10", you know, hefty dude. He's throwing around like a rag doll. So people thought Embiid was was definitely the guy, but that, that foot injury was difficult. And, you know, I think there was – there was it's another interesting concept being that, um, you know, agents play a huge factor in this, in this uh, draft ecosystem that we talked about. And – getting access to his medical records became a huge thing. Like that's how big of a prospect he was. Like he wasn't giving his medical records to Utah or Orlando picking four and five. They were trying to steer him either to Philly or then down to Boston or LA at six and seven. Like that's, that's, that stuff is real. Like as much as that is like fodder for, you know, Oh, you know, New York and Boston and Philly, whatever, like it's definitely real. It happens every year. Um, but you're right, all on down. Like Julius Randle and that Kentucky team with James Young that made the Final Four. Like Randle was super, super hyped that year. Marcus Smart, remember people um, were shocked that he went back for his sophomore year, but he wanted to, you know, improve his draft stock and get higher up. Aaron Gordon was a super athletic, you know, ball of clay at Arizona that people were comparing to be the next type of Paul George type guy. There was a lot of star power that people expected. And, you know, sure enough, Embiid's really like the best guy of that class, but you know, we're still seeing the talent. Wiggins did what he did last night for the Warriors in that playing tournament. We're recording this on Thursday. You know, Randall's an MVP candidate. Aaron Gordon playing a huge role with Denver right now. Like it didn't become the 03 class, but it definitely had, you know, a lot of star power that I think is still playing a factor in the league seven years later. And to me, the biggest storyline in that draft outside of who's going number one was Dante Exum. Yeah, and the the cat and mouse game that was played there, I think he had like the breakout game at was it like the hoop summit or something like that, mm-hmm. and then he just disappeared, and I believe um, uh, Palinka was his agent, if he I'm was. not mistaken, and I he got, hit I got him. Worry about that if uh, if you're interested, not to interrupt you, but um, you're right. I definitely want to hear it. <laughs> it, it was a, it was a concerted strategy to keep his value where it was and to prevent teams from really having an opportunity to knock that value down. And he was working out in like Anaheim for months, but Philly, they wanted to see him. They had a lot of pressure to draft him because remember his dad, Cecil, Brett Brown coached him in Australia. 
And Mike Carter-Williams, as much as he was the rookie of the year that year before, like there was questions about his shooting and longevity and whatever, and Embiid's injury concerns, like there was a lot of pressure for Philly to take Exum. So they, they went to Polinka and said, you know, we want to work him. This is, this is basically unheard of nowadays. They said, but we want to see him go one-on-one against somebody. They'd worked out, I'm sure you remember, but maybe people don't, listening might not, but Philly was working out like 150 people every draft under Sam, which is ridiculous. Most teams work out like 50 to 60 tops. Yes. Sam Hinkie was tripling that. Just to give you a sense of like how much information was of value to him, he was trying to get the most info of anybody. So they handed Plinko a list of second-round pick-type guys, undrafted-type guys that they had already seen to be a barometer against Exum, and Palenka picked Tim Frazier, who was at Penn State at the time, and they come in for this one-on-one game, which, you know, was supposed to be a blowout, right? A top-five pick versus a guy who should be undrafted, and it was a blowout. Tim Frazier just destroyed Dante Exum and, you know, made him look like a, a high school freshman coming to the varsity practice for the first time. And that right then and there, that made a lot of te- people in Philly say, like, we're not considering him at three, definitely not. And then I honestly believe Exum wasn't going to be there at 10 when they ultimately had that second pick. But I think they, would, I think they wouldn't have taken him at 10, too. That's how bad he was in that workout. So, um, you know, Utah got word from Palenka that he would be available at five pretty soon. And they started giving him uh, – giving Utah his physical and stuff like that. And, and jazz officials actually Skyped with Exum from New York last minute to like interview him quickly. Polinka definitely did a quick pivot and tried to get his guy as high as he could. Um, Cause he knew he wasn't going to Orlando either. He, he didn't have a great showing with the magic. I don't believe too. Um, so it just, it's just funny how, you know, one workout, one conversation can really just pivot a whole shift of, of the draft, but also change someone from going to the one team or to another. That is a perfect way to, transition into our last segment when we return i want to get jake's opinion on how much agents influence the nba draft we've been telling you and i've been telling you and if you've been listening to the locked on network and it feels like for me almost every episode i've been telling you that built bar is the best tasting protein bar on the market built bar is this amazing low calorie low sugar high protein high fiber amazing tasting protein bar that is 100% chocolate on all bars. My favorite, and it's become my favorite within the last week or so, it is the birthday cake with sprinkles. It is made with 100% real white chocolate. Other flavors that I like are mint brownie and peanut butter brownie. But if those aren't enough for you, there's coconut almond, there's raspberry, there's double chocolate, cookies and cream, cherry barcia coconut and salted caramel plenty of flavors to choose from and remember these are 100% chocolate protein bars now if you want to try it out go to builtbar.com or at bar underscore built on twitter remember to use the promo code locked 15 to get 15% off your next order that is locked 15 to get 15% off your next order at builtbar.com RockAuto.com is a family business that serves auto parts customers or has been serving auto parts customers online for over 20 years. Go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. Chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers, while RockAuto.com's prices are the same for everybody, and they are reliably low. RockAuto.com always offers the lowest prices possible 
rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear like airlines do. RockAuto.com is for everybody and does not require membership or log on. They have everything you need from engine control models to brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet, which I may be needing soon because it has been raining like crazy in Dallas for the past week. But whether it's for your classic car, your daily driver, get everything you need in just a few easy clicks and everything will be delivered to your door. Go to rockauto.com right now and you can see what parts are available for your car or truck. If you write locked on in their how did you hear about us section, they'll know exactly where you came from. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. Get more analysis on the top prospects available in this year's NBA Draft with the Locked On NBA Draft podcast, scouting reports, draft rumors, mock drafts, and all the information you need from credentialed draft experts like myself. Follow the Locked On NBA Draft podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Again, you are listening to Locked On NBA Draft. This is Rafael Barlow with Jake Fisher. Jake has been awesome on this episode. Get his book, Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever. I placed my order. I can't wait for it to come. I'll probably be reaching out to him within the next seven days and telling him I'm finished with the book. (laughs) But what I wanted to find out now, and it's something I knew, and I'm sure he can probably give me additional insight. It's the whole agent factor in the NBA draft. You started to see, and I want to say it was more so, at least in my opinion, around that time, the agency controlled workouts, the workouts where, like I said, the agency controlled it. You only saw a guy work out to his strengths. If the guy was athletic, you just saw him do a bunch of drills of dunking and showcasing his athleticism. And I thought it was like a great strategy from the agent's perspective, but a pain in the neck for an NBA team's perspective, because not only are you drafting a 18 or 19 or 20 year old, but now you're running into a situation where you may not get all the medical information you want to receive. And you may not get a chance to really watch him work out with your staff and see like the areas that you may have some red flags or concerns on. So can you give me like a couple like great examples of how outside of the excellent one that you just mentioned, how an agent can have a major influence on where a player goes. Yeah. I mean, I'll give you two. And they're both from Andy Miller, who is no longer a player agent. Now he's working with coaches and executives. Um, but that's look, such a weird transition <clears throat> to me, but <laughs> well, there's other factors that is a whole nother podcast, but right. um, you know, the book starts in 2013. I bring you right to Nerlens's draft table in the green room in Barclays as John Calipari is losing his mind as Nerlens is falling from one down to six where Hinky ultimately traded for him. And it's because I have from, from multiple people around that situation on the record, people that were at that table that you know, they refused to have Nerlens visit with any team picking between below two. It was Cleveland picking number one when they took Anthony Bennett. It was Orlando picking two where they got Victor Oladipo. And from there, you know, the Wizards were always taking CJ McCollum, or always taking Otto Porter anyway. Um, when they, like, CJ McCollum visited, he even told them, like, why are you guys visiting with me? Like, you have John Wall and Bradley Beal. Like, you're not taking me. It was pretty clear they were going out of Porter. But, you know, at four with Charlotte. They were between Cody Zeller and Nerlens. And they had scheduled a visit for Nerlens and Charlotte and then canceled it. And they wouldn't give his info to Phoenix at all either, who were picking five. 
which was definitely a concerted effort to make it be messaged that, you know, my guy is not going to be available to you here. Like, you can't visit with him because you don't even have a chance to draft him anyway. Obviously, that situation, it burned him. Nerlens fell to six, and he lost a lot of guaranteed money. But you spin it forward to 2015 when Miller is representing Christoph Porzingis now, knowing the Nerlens situation with Philly and how, you know, that situation, the process was tenuous for a lot of people, Nerlens in particular. You know, losing like that is not great for a lot of these 19-year-old kids who win all the time. They go to college, they're treated like gods, and they go to the NBA, their dreams realized – and they lose 60 games. Like a lot of the times that's more games than these guys have lost in their entire life combined, literally. Right. So it's tough. And he didn't want, he didn't want Kristaps, a center to go to a team that already had Joel Embiid and Nerlens Noel, one of his other clients who was also a center. So when they held, when they held their uh, pro, their pro day in Vegas at impact out there, Andy Miller told his agents and his people, don't let Sam Hinkie talk to him. Like, don't even let him talk to him. They refused to have him work out in Philly. One time, he was playing all these mind games. One time they finally acquiesced and Miller allowed Hinkie to have a meeting with him in New York. And as Sam's driving up, he was like, oh, no, Kristaps has food poisoning. Like, I'm canceling it. But even still, Philly could have taken him at three. Like, that's the cat and, that's the cat and mouse game that I think agents – like you, you talk about it's a pain in the ass, but the team ultimately has the right of way at the end of the day. They could have taken Kristaps at three, but they do certain things like withholding medical info and whatnot because it's very precarious for an ownership group to approve their GM taking a guy, especially a seven three, you know, Lithuanian dude or Latvian, Latvian, right? Um, yeah. Who you know he's young, he's gangly. You want to see how that body's actually going to develop and grow. And obviously, injuries have been a big factor in KP's career moving forward. So. Um, Porzingis, you know, they had a, he had a promise of four to New York. Phil Jackson told them that very early on. They didn't tell Philly that, but they were doing everything they could to prevent Philly from taking him, um, knowing that New York was that, that seal, that, that basement. I mean, he had, a, he had a workout with the Lakers. He, he visited with Minnesota, um, but they knew New York was where he wanted to go and was the most likely landing spot if Philly wasn't going to take him. And they were successful in steering him out of there. So, you know, you take your hat off, honestly, to an agent who has an idea of where he wants that player to go and that player wants to go there and they, and they get it done. You're right. It's a total pain in the ass for teams. But I do see both sides of it. And I kind of respect the agents who can do it masterfully and, you know, not cancel a meeting with somebody as they're driving to meet with them. There's artful ways to do it for sure. Man, this is, again, great stuff. You mentioned the guarantee. Are there any stories in this book about guys that had guarantees that ended up not being guaranteed? And if so, how did that affect the long-term relationship between the front office and that particular agent? Yeah, there's, there's, there isn't one that comes to mind that ruined the relationship, but Philly in 2014 at that number 10 pick that we talked about, they had promised Dario Saric that we're taking you at 10. So oh, he's in he the green like- room. And he's ready to go. He's ready. Not the ninth pick goes up. Like he's looking around at his agent, like they're waiting. For, they they had a call, I think, at number seven, even, um, saying like at ten we're going to take you. But Hinky was always about trying to maximize every swing at the plate, right? And they knew Orlando was picking at twelve. And from people I've talked to, Hinky had inside information from somebody with the Magic that they knew that the Magic were pining over Alfred Payton. So he took Alfred Payton at 10, even though they promised Dario, thinking that Dario would still be there at 12 and holding Alfred Payton almost hostage and asking the, asking the Magic for an extra first-round pick back for him, which you know, before Hinky, 
Philly had given up in that Andrew Bynum trade that didn't work out. So Sam didn't just take Dario. He used that opportunity to extract more draft capital to make up for their, their deficit previously. It worked out. Dario came to Philly eventually, you know, a couple of years later. Um, but it was definitely perilous. And, and there's a chance that, you know, Dario isn't there or a chance that Orlando won't swing the deal. And they could have burned Dario or, or his agent, Misko Raznanovic. And I wonder how that would have played a factor. But that, that was a risk that they were willing to take. And it definitely worked out for them. I totally forgot about that, you know, because I remember Dario going to to Philly, but what what trade was that? I remember was it part of the was it like the Dwight Howard Bynum? Yes. Um, who else? Mo um, Harkless, Nikola Vucevic, Iggy, Iggy went to Denver. Yeah, that 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 pick they got back from Orlando was one of the picks they gave to Orlando in that fourteen deal. Um, so they picked, they picked Peyton at 10 and then I'm trying to remember who was at number 11, but at 12 was Orlando and, um, oh, I think 11 was Miles Turner. No, no, that was the year after McDermott, McDermott. Right, right, right. So yeah, that was Denver and they traded down, um, with Chicago, correct? No, it was Chicago and they traded with whatever it was. I think it was Nurkic. Was it Nurkic and McDermott deal? I, I remember seeing like this article about all the guys that Chicago had drafted and traded from yeah. Marcus Aldridge to Nurkic and a, a, a bunch of, yeah, a bunch a of different guys. Yeah, basically they knew he probably wasn't going 11, but um, you know, to get to get an extra first round pick just for moving down two slots to get the guy that you would have taken um, at number 10 anyway, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty ironic. That's what exactly what happened with Boston and Philly in 2017 when Brian yeah. Colangelo, Hinky's Hinky's successor, you know, came in, and by all accounts, you know, it looks like Hinky or Colangelo got bamboozled, right? Like Boston would have taken Tatum at three at one anyway, and Marco Feltz is no longer with Philly. So, I think that irony is pretty amazing that Hinky did that to the benefit of Philly, and the guy that ownership kind of pushed him out for kind of got burned by that exact situation, you know, a couple of years later. I never thought of it from that perspective. Man, this this is this is great. This has been a great episode. Before we close, for the people who may not be convinced all the way, <laughs> why should they buy this book? I think I've given a preview of it so far. I mean, like I said at the top, I talked to over 300 people for this, and there's there's brand new info from Philly, Boston, the Lakers, the Magic, the Suns, Cleveland, Minnesota, Milwaukee. There's some crazy, crazy king shit. Like palace intrigue and infighting with the Vivek, Mike Malone, Pete D'Alessandro, Vlade Divac, George Carl carnival that that was. Like I've got crazy details that like you can't make up um, that, you know, I think any NBA fan who loves rumors and NBA draft Twitter and all that type of stuff, this book's going to have so much new information that you're not going to find anywhere else. Um, I'd appreciate the support. And if if you buy a copy, I, I believe you won't be disappointed. So that's my final pitch. I bought my copy and I'm not saying this just because he's a guest on the show and it sounds good. I literally ordered my copy. It should be here within the next 24 to 48 hours. And I, I can't wait to read it. Thanks a lot, man. Once again, this is Raphael, NBA draft junkies locked on NBA draft. Jake Fisher has a new book built to lose how the NBA's tanking era changed the league forever. And for the listeners that want to, follow you on social media where can they find you at yeah i'm at jake l fisher f-i-s-c-h-e-r on 
Twitter. My Instagram presence is not very big, but that's my Instagram as well. And uh, yeah, I'll be putting out updates about the book and my work for Bleach Report. Uh, I, I write a weekly column there once a week. That's it's, it's all on my Twitter. So yeah, appreciate everybody following along. All right, sounds good. Thanks again, and we are out.